Welcome to chapel. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Tommy Case. I'm one of the student chaplains here. And this week, we've been talking about what it means to be united to one another. Hashtag united to one another. And we've been going through the process of crossing the divisions that divide us and finding similarities in each other, finding the things that unite us. And that's the image of God, the, the, the body that was sacrificed for us through Christ. And this, this morning, we're going to be talking about a group of people that the church really hasn't quite figured out yet how to connect to. The church hasn't really understood or hasn't fully comprehended how can we reach these people? How can we show the love of Christ to them? And that is what Dr. Ewan is going to be talking to us about this morning. Dr. For Christopher Ewan teaches the Bible at Moody Bible Institute and his speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached the continent, five continents. He speaks in conferences such as InterVarsity's Urbana and Moody Pastors Conference and Men's Conferences on college campuses and in churches such as Saddleback Church and, Middle, and Willow Creek Community Church. He's featured in the award-winning documentary Hope Positive, Surviving the Sentence of AIDS, and has co-authored with his mother their memoir, Out of a Far Country, a Gay Son's uh, Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. I've just started reading this book, and it's awesome. So be sure to check it out. They have a, they have a booth out in the hallway that you can check out and um, purchase. Uh, Christopher graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005, Wheaton, Col Wheaton College Graduate School in 2007, and with, with a Master's of Arts in Biblical Exegesis, and has received his Doctorate of Ministry in 2014 from Bethel Seminary. So without further ado, would you join me in welcoming Dr. Christopher Ewan. Good morning. Welcome to uh, Asian Chapel. You have the Asian worship team, Asian speaker. Um, <laughs> during lunch, we're going to have kung, kung fu demonstration. Um, <laughs> so um, it's so great to be back at Crown. Um, if you all were here last year when I shared my testimony, um, Maybe I know not all of you might have been here, um, new students, and uh, let me just share you just an abbreviated version. I mean, why is it that I'm speaking on sexuality? It's something that's very personal to, me, personal to me. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I struggled with homosexual feelings from a young age. I came out of the closet, and that was actually the, the crisis that brought my parents to faith. Well, I went in the opposite direction. My parents come to faith. I was running from God, running from them. I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. While in dental school, I began experimenting with drugs. I was expelled from dental school. I then moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I kept doing what I knew how to do best, and that was sell drugs. I became a supplier. Eventually, after years of my parents praying for me, I found myself in jail. And that was when I found, of all things, a Bible in the trash can. And I began reading it, which is a dangerous thing to do if you don't want to change. I began reading it and began to convict me and challenge me. And, and God showed me that really I had put my identity in the wrong things. You know, I was telling myself, the world was telling me, you are gay. I am gay. That is who you are. That's the core of your identity. But God was saying something else. And he's saying, actually, your identity shouldn't be anything other than Jesus Christ. Not even in your race, 
not in your gender, not in your sexuality, but your identity must be in Jesus Christ alone. That just kind of, that changed my whole perspective, that, that broke my paradigm. And as I realized that, I, re- I began pursuing not heterosexuality, not homosexuality, but pursuing a life of holiness. I mean, isn't that what sanctification is anyway? So through that, I was then called into ministry. I, I applied to Moody. I didn't hear about any other Christian. I didn't know that Christian colleges even existed. I just heard of that one school in my hometown, Chicago. So I applied to Moody, went to Moody, and I graduated in 2005. And so if you're interested in more of my book, um, our book is written uh, by my mother and I. And uh, it's called Out of Our Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. And... Um, so, and that we have available that outside. But today, I want to talk about how the church, we can do better at ministering to those in the gay community. Um, the gay community, I believe, is one of the most unreached people groups here in the U.S., even worldwide. I mean, we focus a lot upon different unreached people groups, which is good. I think we must continue to do that, but let's not neglect some of the most obvious ones here right on our front doorstep, the gay community. But if we're honest, I think we would realize that Christians, we don't have a good reputation in how we have reached out to the gay community, how we have built relationships or even shared Christ with the gay community. There's a book that's called Unchristian, written by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. David Kinnaman uh, is part of the Barna Research Group. Gabe Lyons is uh, the founder of Q Ideas, and they do a lot of research. They do a lot of uh, looking at how to reach the millennial generation, your generation. And they did this study, and they looked at how young Americans view Christians. And in the study, they asked, when you think about the church, what do you think about There are many options. Some of them were positive things, like offers hope, uh, has good values. But by large, it was all negative. Young Americans your age, age 16, 29, view Christians to be confusing, not accepting, boring, sensitive, out of touch, too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, judgmental, and just guess what's at the very, very top. Anti-homosexual. Just look at those percentages. So they broke it down to two groups, those that were raised within the church and then those that were raised not within the church. Those not raised within the church, 91% of those believe that we are anti-homosexual. When you see a percentage like that of a survey, you might as well, it's pretty safe to say everyone. That's pretty sad. Well, how about us? Those of us raised within the church, went to youth group, went to church, sat under biblical teaching from our pastors, so we know, love the sin or hate the sin, right? Well, Not according to this survey, because the survey showed that 8 out of 10 of you all believe that we ourselves are anti-homosexual. And let me note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say anti-homosexuality, kind of more the issue. And I could possibly understand that we hold to the biblical view of sexuality, that sexual intimacy is reserved between a husband and wife in marriage, and anything outside of that is not something God would bless. So I could understand that, but honestly, I hate to be known for what we're against, and I really wish we were better known for what we're for. Amen? I wish we were better known for what, for what we're for. But that's not what this survey showed. This survey didn't show that we're anti-homosexuality. The survey showed that we are anti-homosexual. Not the issue, but the person. So whatever we have been doing in the past 10, 20 plus years as the body of Christ, we are seen to be against gay people. And that is wrong. 
God isn't against people. He's for people turning from their sins and turning to Christ, and so should we. But unfortunately, people's perception of who we are is their reality. So what can we do to be, do a better job at responding to not just the issue of homosexuality, but sharing Christ to those in the gay community? So I'm going to give you some uh, points here, and, and honestly, it's going to be a little bit of a criticism, a constructive criticism. So I hope, I hope you guys are kind of confident in your spirituality, where you can kind of take some of this criticism. Uh, so here we go. First thing, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. Are we convicted about our own sin? Do we, you know, if we're going to be pointing out other people's sin, well, we need to be serious about our own sin. But oftentimes, we give the impression that homosexuality is one of the worst sins, when I lived as a gay man for many years, I felt Christians were telling me that gays and lesbians just somehow deserved a hotter place in hell. That Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians. We know that's not the truth. Homosexuality is not the worst sin. And yet we often overlook sin, whether it's gossiping, jealousy, pride, adultery, fornication. We overlook those, but heaven forbid if it's homosexuality, then we really need to address it. And I'm not saying that we need to lessen the severity of, of other sins. We need to be serious about all sins, especially our own sins. And I know for most people, homosexuality is not something that you might personally relate to. And even to think about it, a man, a man and a man sleeping together, a woman and a woman uh, kissing or whatever, they think that, oh, that's just gross, that's disgusting. But actually, I think that that feeling that some people might have, even to the point of demeaning people who are gay or lesbian, should be a good reminder that it's probably just a fraction of what God feels when he looks at their own sin. And maybe even more because we should know better. We have the Holy Spirit. And, you know, uh, and isn't it easier to, I mean, think about it. Isn't it easier to look at someone else's sin and say, oh, that's so awful. That's so disgusting. I would never do that. Of course you won't, because that's not your sin. Do we say the same thing about our own sin? Are we disgusted just as much as we are about someone else's sin, about our own sin? I think we should. Because ultimately, I, I hope our desire is to lead people to Christ. And yet, I've never seen how that's ever done through a holier-than-thou attitude. Have you? I mean, I haven't seen anyone. You know, I came to Jesus, this old lady, she was so pompous. No, it's gentleness, humility, it's people, someone that's broken about their own sin. That is what leads people to Christ. So first and foremost, we need to be convicted. Our, our sin is just as odious in God's eyes than the sin of homosexuality. Um, and then second, we need to be, uh, we need to be uh, consistent. We need to be convicted. We need to be consistent. Uh, as I look at the ministry of Jesus Christ... Uh, Jesus was so patient and compassionate toward the sinners, the tax collectors, the, the prostitute, the adulteress, and yet he was hardest on the Pharisees, the ones that were so religious. They knew God's word, they knew God's loving kindness, but they were not extending God's loving kindness to others. And so they were hypocrites, and unfortunately, we all, it's part of our human nature, we are hypocrites. It's part of our human nature. We need to keep that in check. We need to constantly looking at how might I be living inconsistent to the gospel. And when it comes to homosexuality, we have been inconsistent regarding three things. First of all, regarding relationships. What's your relationship status? Are you married? Are you single? 
And at this point, we somehow have elevated marriage to be more important than singleness. You might think, what does this have to do with homosexuality? A lot. Because if our message to those in the gay community is that you need to walk away from same-sex relationships, or our message to our brothers and sisters in Christ among us are that you need to, you know, resist your same-sex attractions, well, what does that mean practically? That means be single for a period in your life, if not the rest of your life. And if so, do we have a healthy place for singles to thrive within the Christian community? Let's be honest. Not really. Right now, singles feel like second-class citizens. Singleness is often equated to loneliness in our culture. Many, even in our non-Christian culture, secular community, many of my gay friends tell me, what you're saying is God wants me to be lonely for the rest of my life. And what they're doing is they're equating singleness with loneliness. But singleness is not equated to loneliness. I mean, I know some people who are married, and they're still miserably lonely. So it's not marriage that's going to cure your loneliness, is it? I'll tell you the, the cure to loneliness. A relationship with God is a cure to loneliness. But unfortunately, we give this impression that marriage is equated to happiness. You know, you, it's a pie in the sky. You reach that and you'll be so happy. I mean, I know, especially here on Christian colleges campuses. I mean, you know, I teach at Moody Bridal Institute. So I know, you know, <laughs> what Christian campuses are like. And, and we give that impression, you know, marriage, it's, it's, you know, once you achieve that, you've succeeded in life. Think back when you, were, when you were kids and your teachers would read you fairy tales. How do all fairy tales end? All right, they live happily, well, first they get married, and then they live happily ever after. But, you know, we don't get the 10-year checkup or the 20-year checkup. Hopefully, they're still living happily ever after. But you know what the real lesson should be? It's not marriage that should bring you ultimate contentment. It should be a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings you ultimate contentment first. And I'm not at all trying to diss marriage, because that would not be biblical. But unfortunately, I think what we've done is as we've lifted up the beauty and gift of marriage, which we should, we've done that at the expense of singleness. So now singleness is a consolation price. I'm so sorry you're stuck with singleness. Many of my single friends, single, uh, you know, uh, sisters in Christ and single brothers in Christ, uh, they often feel like projects. You know, people are always trying to hook them up and, you know, oh, I've got this great person I want you to meet. And, you know, my friends often are like, I don't want to hang out with a stranger. I'd rather hang out with my friends that I already know. Uh, and, and what that communicates is somehow that you can't be whole or even happy until you're married. I have a friend who was a missionary in China for five years, went there single, came back single. And she hadn't seen a bunch of her friends for a long time. And when she did, they would all ask her similar questions. Are you dating anyone? Do you have anyone special in your life? And she's like, oh, no, no. Do you know what some of her friends said to her? Can I pray for you? <laughs> it was as if she had cancer. Singleness, by the way, is not cancer. Singleness is not a curse. But we give this impression that singleness is a curse. But what does the Bible say about singleness? Paul spends an entire chapter talking about singleness and marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that not only is singleness good, but he says that singleness is a gift. And to be honest, most single people do not like that verse. 
I don't like it. Okay, I know Paul says it's a gift, but I still don't like it. You, what's that return policy on that gift? You still got the receipts. You know, I, it's like a bad Christmas present. I don't want it. I don't want it. You know, we can all agree that marriage, amen, that's a gift. When it comes to singleness, we can't all agree it's a gift. Instead, you know what we say? We say singleness, whew, that's a calling. I mean, seriously. I mean, not anyone can be single. You have to be, I mean, super special and super called to be single. You have to be either Wonder Woman or Superman to be, to be single. Which, by the way, have you noticed all superheroes are single? What does that communicate? You have to have superhuman powers just to be single. And, and yet... I'm single, I'm 44, I'm living my calling and, and gift to be a single man. The majority of my Christian friends are married, and they're happily married, but they tell me a secret. They tell me, marriage, it takes work. It does, it takes a lot of work. Giving of yourselves, loving unconditionally, that's not easy, loving un, you know, sacrificially. And even according to Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says that men, your job when you get married as a husband, is to lay your life down for your wives. Amen, ladies? Amen? So honestly, I don't know what husband that doesn't struggle with that high, high, impossible calling. So do you know what I say tongue-in-cheek? I say marriage, whew, that's a calling, seriously. <laughs> Singleness, that's a gift. I don't have to lay my life down for anyone yet. But I'm not trying to raise one above the other or even lower one below the other. When I read the Bible, when I read the message of the New Covenant... Godly marriage and godly singleness are two sides of the same coin. We shouldn't emphasize one without emphasizing the other. Honestly, I think the body of Christ, we may not even be ready to address the issue of sexuality until we reclaim godly singleness. We have to have a place for singles, godly singles, to thrive within Christian community. So first... We need to be consistent regarding relationships. Second, we need to be consistent regarding sexuality. Because what is God's standard for sexuality? Oh, that's easy. It's heterosexuality. Well, let's think about that. Heterosexuality, for one, it's not even a biblical term. We don't find it in the Bible. It's a man-made, secular, sociological term that is a very broad definition. Being attracted to the opposite sex or being, attracted or being sexually intimate with the opposite sex. Within that broad definition are many things the Bible clearly condemns. Adultery, fornication, lust. A man looking at pornography, that can be considered heterosexual. So that can't be a good standard if that's, you know, many things within that are sinful. Well, it's not homosexuality either, then what is God's standard? God's standard is holy sexuality. And what is holy sexuality? When I look at holy sexuality, I only see one, uh, two options. When I read through a full counsel of God, two options for us to act out our sexuality. First, if you're married, complete faithfulness to your spouse of the opposite sex. Or if you're single, complete faithfulness through abstinence. If you're married, complete faithfulness through, uh, to your spouse of the opposite sex. If you're single, complete faithfulness through abstinence. And even if you're dating now as a single, that means still be abstinent. Be open to, to marriage, but in your dating relationships, don't be getting to things that you shouldn't be doing. That, that's why God put those boundaries there. What I like about that term is, I mean, I didn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't have a term for those two options, so I created a term. And I, what I like about that is this applies to all of us. Whether you're a man or woman, whether you have heterosexual feelings or homosexual feelings, we all need to pursue holiness. So then some people tell me, well, that's fine and dandy, but gay people then only have one option, and that's to be single for the rest of their life. 
Not necessarily so. I have a friend who was a gay man for many years, comes to Christ. He had no interest in girls before coming to Christ or even after coming to Christ. He was in ministry. He built some close friends that were like his support group, his family. There was a young lady. He developed a close relationship. They were like best buddies. She came from a broken past, had really broken relationships. And, they re- and you know, so she thought she was just done dating with guys. She knew that he didn't like girls. He knew that she didn't really want to date, so they were safe together, best friends. After some time, he began noticing some things about her that he never noticed before in girls. Her hair. She smelled good. And she had curves. <laughs> he says, puberty is hard going through once. Try going through puberty twice. <laughs> he got up enough courage, asked her out on a date, and after some dating, he asked her to marry him. And on their wedding night, he told his new bride, he said, honey, I can't explain this. I'm not attracted to any other women. I'm only attracted to you. That is holy sexuality. I believe when God brings two people together into that union of one, that miracle of one union flesh, he will provide all those two people need to fulfill that covenant relationship. That is holy sexuality. So we need to be consistent regarding relationships. Uh, We need to be consistent regarding sexuality and consistent regarding change. What does change look like? Does change mean going from gay to straight? I mean, so often we kind of get this misunderstanding that that is the standard for change. Or no longer having those feelings, because if you're still having those feelings, then you're not changed. If you're still being tempted in that way, then you haven't been changed. Well, do we apply that same principle to anything else? Say I have a friend who struggled with drinking, comes to Christ, stops drinking, but after some time, he admits he still has the urge to pick up a beer, but he doesn't. What I then tell him, you haven't been changed. We need to lay some hands on you. You need some deliverance. No, actually, I think the manifestation of God's grace is more evident in his life because he has to say no to his flesh and say yes to God. So change, it is not the absence of struggles. When does God ever promise us that we won't struggle with sin? But change is the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. Because the ultimate issue is not what I'm struggling with. The ultimate issue is that we yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. God's faithfulness is not shown by taking us out of our struggles and temptations, but God's faithfulness is shown by carrying us through it. That's how God works. So we need to be convicted, leading to humility. We need to be consistent in three ways regarding relationships, sexuality, and change. And then third, we need to be compassionate. I've been teaching at Moody for eight years now, and every year I get about half a dozen students that confide with me that they struggle with same-sex attractions. They think they're gay. And oftentimes, they don't even know what to say because they've never told anyone. And they continue and say things like, I hate myself. I wish I was never born. I feel that God despises me. Several suffer with depression and a few even thoughts of suicide. That should move us. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ who, for whatever reason, feel that they can't share this with the rest of us. So for some, this is an issue between life and death. So what can we do to be a safer, more compassionate, redemptive place? Well, first of all, just expect that this is present here. Here at Crown College, here in our churches, in the body of Christ. I mean, not be surprised when you hear someone, you know... uh, 
I don't, I don't know why some people are surprised. They think, you know, I don't know why my best friend is struggling with this issue. I mean, he came from a good home, had Christian parents. Okay, so if someone comes from a Christian home and has, you know, good parents, does that exempt them from struggling with sin? No. I mean, newsflash. Some of us here actually struggle with sin. Right? Some of us do. Come on. All of us do. What's the body of Christ? The body of Christ, I mean, we're a group of people. You know, are, are we a group of people who just have it all together, don't have any problems, we don't struggle with anything? We meet once a week, we hold hands, and we sing Kumbaya. Is that what we are? Of course not. I'll tell you what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ is a group of people who know that they're broken and they desperately need Christ. I'll just be totally honest with you. I am broken and I desperately need Christ. Anyone else out there that relates with that at all? And so let us all hand in hand walk together to him, not because I can fix you, not because I have all the answers, but I know someone who does. And his name is Jesus. So our job as followers of Christ, I mean, so, you know, we, we need to show and, and, and create this safe place and just not be surprised when, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ actually struggle with sin, actually are tempted uh, with same-sex attractions. Um, second, are you able to articulate your position on this issue? Are, are you able to communicate, you know, especially when someone comes to you uh, in their time of need? And it's not just, it's a sin, don't do it. But our desire, our desire in the body of Christ here at Crown College is to lead people into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, not just to know Jesus, but into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ so that we're willing to surrender everything, including our sexuality. Man, that applies to all of us, not just those dealing with issues of sexual identity. It's about knowing Jesus deeper and surrendering everything. Third, you, may, you might have a friend who you've been wondering, wondering whether they're wrestling with this issue. And maybe you're thinking, how, how do I ask them? How do I bring it up? You know, I, I wanna let them know that I'm, I'm there for them, to walk with them, to pray with them. So, so how do I ask them? Don't. Just, just think if someone came up to you out of the blue and asked, um, are you gay? It's a little awkward. I, I don't really see how that could ever be comfortable. But what you can do is give assurance of your friendship. Tell them, you know, I thank God for you. I just want you to know anything you say or do won't change our friendship. And that creates a safe place and invites them in. Honestly, we should be doing that with all of our close friends. Creating that safe place. I mean, our, the body of Christ should be a place of transparency should be a safe place where we can open about, up about our struggles. I mean, honestly, you know, the world, they, they celebrate, come out of the closet. And really, I think we all should come out of the closet. Come out of the closet of your pornography addiction. Come out of the closet of an eating disorder. Come out of the closet of, you know, you know, your, your struggle with jealousy, come out of the closet, but the difference is then surrender to Jesus Christ. Surrender to Jesus Christ. You know, I'm just done. I'm done with being perfect, and I'm done with the church trying to kind of put on this facade and, and say, I don't have any problems. We need to just be real. Anyone else? I mean, anyone else? Am I just the only one? We need to be real, and we need to just... We need to, because it's in us being real, then that fosters 
other people being real. And that is what fosters real relationships. That is what fosters real community. And, and this is just a message to the student out there. I mean, with a group this size, there's bound to be students that are personally struggling with this issue alone. And I wanna just ask you, don't do it alone. There's an incredible chaplain uh, team here. Open up with one of the student chaplains with Chaplain Kuhn himself. Find a professor that you trust. Find one of your you know, guys on your floor or like girls on your floor and open up. Don't do it alone. Email me. You think that, oh, I can do this alone, but you know what? We are not created to be lone rangers. We are not. That's how the enemy gets a hold of us and pulls you down. Let us invite us into your journey. Don't do this alone. Fourth, we need to be serious about the gay jokes and the bullying. And I, I, I'd, like, you know, I'd like to say that the bullying probably doesn't happen. I mean, actually, my doctoral research focused upon um, the marginalization of students who struggle with same-sex attractions at Christian colleges and universities. And fortunately, I, I, I saw that people weren't experiencing bullying or even any type of physical assault, which is good. But, you know, many of you guys probably work with youth groups. And our youth are, they're sinners, right? I mean... <laughs> They can be cruel at times, and we need to be proactive in teaching our kids there's nothing Christ-like about bullying. But unfortunately, what I have found in my research is that the joking still happens on our campus. And that needs to stop. We justify it often, and we say, oh, but it's a sin. But making fun of other people is also a sin. And plus, that creates an atmosphere that communicates that somehow we're just not safe. And it could just be a hand gesture. Could be just something you say, and unfortunately, someone might be in earshot of that joke or that hand gesture. And do you think that person now would feel welcome to open, about, open up about their journey? Most likely not. So can we be more creative? Instead of saying, that's so gay, how about that's so Baptist? You know, that's so Presbyterian, you know, <laughs> that's so CMA, whatever. I mean, you add in your modifier there, and uh, anything other than that's okay, amen? So we need to be convicted, we need to be consistent. Then third, we need to be complete, uh, we need to be compassionate, and then lastly, we need to be complete. And this is talking about being complete in our message, complete in what we communicate. We are Christians and we, we focus upon God's truth because it's the truth that sets us free. So then what is the truth when it comes to gay sex? Oh, that's easy. It, it's a sin. Okay, that's, that's true. But unfortunately, many people, they put a period at the end of that sentence and they say nothing more. And, and do you know that's equivalent to giving someone a one spiritual law tract? Have you heard of the four spiritual laws? You know, the, the tract that you give out, share the gospel? Well, this is the one spiritual law that goes something like this. You're a sinner, you're going to hell, sorry. That's not good news. But that's the message that we've been giving to the gay community. You're a sinner, you're going to hell, there's no hope for you. It's no wonder why people in the gay community want nothing to do with Christians, because we're not giving them the good news, we're giving them the bad news. We're not giving them the complete gospel, we're giving them an incomplete gospel. And you know telling someone an incomplete truth can be just as harmful as telling someone a lie. So what is the complete truth? 
Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes on and lists 10 sins, and in Greek, two words focus on homosexuality. And sometimes people look at that list and say, look, gays and lesbians won't inherit the kingdom of God. They conveniently forget about the eight other sins when they do that, because really, when we look at all 10 sins, none of us should inherit the kingdom of God. Bad news. But praise God, Paul didn't stop there. He goes on to say in verse 11, such were some of you. Such were, past tense, some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not just good news. That's amazing news. That's news that we can declare from the rooftop to the gay community, straight community, to any community that needs to know about Jesus Christ. So our message must be redemptive and focus upon that good news. I just want to give you guys some practical things here at the very, very end. We're going to go a little bit fast here of, of how can we share Christ and minister to two groups of people who struggle with same-sex attractions. One, Christians who know that this is sin. How do we minister and walk with them, like our students here on campus who struggle with this? But, and then how do we share Christ with those in the gay community? Let's say after this week, you know, this chapel of talking on this issue, you have a friend that confides with you that they're struggling with same-sex attractions. You know what to say or do. First, thank them. Thank them. You know how hard it is to share Christ with someone with, or to share on this issue with another Christian? They're probably scared, scared to death they're gonna lose your friendship. But they got enough courage, trusted you with this. Thank them. Second, tell them that they're not alone. Tell them that they're not alone even though they think that they're gonna be all alone all their life. If, they, if you just tell them, you know, I don't know all there is to know on this issue but I wanna walk with you to Jesus. That can be the difference between life and death for someone. Third, help remind them that their identity needs to be in Christ. That no matter what we feel, no matter how our sexuality can be overwhelming, that should never define us. But Christ must define us. Fourth, be realistic. Don't just give these false promises. Oh, just read the Bible more and pray really, really hard and you could pray away the gay. No, that's not how it happens. We don't read the Bible and pray so that we don't have any problems. We read the Bible and pray so that when we are tempted, we can resist temptation and remain faithful. Fifth, um, don't focus so much on the externals. You know, how do I help a young lady? It's not about, you know, changing her appearance, but it's about a heart change. And then six, we really need to encourage God-honoring same-sex friendships. What I needed most is to see how men love one another in God-honoring, healthy, non-sexual ways. Encourage that. Um, so then how do we share Christ with those in the gay community? LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. This is what we should not do first. Do not compare this with an addiction, pedophilia. Not all gays and lesbians do drugs and are promiscuous like I was. That's part of my story. Not everyone else is like that. Um, second, don't use the two, phrase, uh, two words, uh, lifestyle, and choice. We, we often use that when we talk about homosexuality, and that's very offensive to those in the gay community because they don't see this as a lifestyle. They see this as who they are. And if I could just not use a word or two for the sake of winning someone to Christ, I'm willing to do that. Also, don't use this phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Don't we love that phrase? And I think it's a phrase, good phrase to live by, but Honestly, you don't have to tell people that. Oh, I'm loving you, but I'm hating your sin. That's really not endearing. I mean, that doesn't draw people, you know, oh, that, I feel so loved now. No. Um, fourth, don't feel the need that you have to debate all the time. There's a time to share truth, 
but not before God softened their heart. Then what should you do? We're just gonna end with this, pray. Are we praying and fasting for those we love who don't know Christ yet? Listen, listen to their stories, listen to their, I mean, what, what kind of, what's gone in their life? Ask me, what was it like growing up? What was it like when you came out to your parents? It must have been hard. You don't have to give your commentary yet. Just listen. Be intentional. Don't be afraid to, you know, eat dinner with someone, have them into your home. People are thinking, well, if I have them in my home, am I condoning their sin? Well, last time I checked, we usually have people into our home, or sinners into our home. I mean, that's a normal thing. We usually have sinners over for dinner. Um, so, but you, I mean, you're just eating dinner with them. You're not sinning with them. Fourth, uh, be patient and persistent. It's gonna take time. Sharing Christ is difficult. Be in it for the long haul. For me to turn around in eight years is a short time. And lastly, be transparent. Share what Christ is doing in your life lately. You know, I would never have considered the gospel if I didn't see the gospel lived out of my parents' lives. I didn't leave pursuing gay relationships because I thought they were so bad. I didn't even leave it because I thought they were so unhealthy. I left it because I found something better. And his name is Jesus. Our job as followers of Christ is to show a dying world out there that no matter what they're clinging to, a job, a career, a big house, even good things like family, a spouse, not only is Jesus better than all of that, but Jesus is best. So my prayer for us is that as we leave this campus, as we go out in the workforce, as we go out outside of the church, that we would show the world that not only is Jesus best, better, but Jesus is best. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you are a good God and thank you for giving us your son. Father, help us to live a life that reflects the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we repent of taking things lightly. We repent, Lord God, of taking things as a joke. Lord, we repent of taking things just and living a life of mediocrity. Lord God, you have given us today and help us to live with that sense of urgency. Help us to share Christ to our loved ones in the gay community and point them to you. God, we love you. We praise you. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. You are dismissed.